I want to give our speaker today all the time that he needs. So I'm going to start my introduction of him while they're continuing to wait upon us in our time of uh, offering and giving. Today I get a privilege of introducing a man that is going to stand behind this pulpit today and do something that has never been done in the history of our church that I know of of 126 years. Pastor Matt is going to speak to us today not because he is a man of color, because he is a man that is anointed and happens to be a man of color. But today I get the honor of we've had men and women that have come and been guests for us as people of color that have graced us with the anointing and the ability to preach the gospel. We've had that happen. But this is the first time in 126 years that a pastor on our staff right here at 1735 Jackson Street will stand behind this pulpit as a man of color and declare the gospel. So would you put your hands together and welcome Pastor Matt Richard. Amen. I'm a little taller than Pastor David, so I'm going to reach this up a bit. I appreciate that. So blessed to be here today, um, being able to uh, just uh, preach and share this word with you. Just reminded of all my childhood and what God has done to bring me here today, and I'm overwhelmed. Uh, a good friend of mine, a wise man, told me to uh, give your loved ones the roses while they can still smell them. Uh, so, I, so I have to uh, give honor where honor is due. Outside of the will of God, I would not be here today if it wasn't for two amazing men, Pastor David and Pastor Gray who love me regardless of my behavior, but because of their obedience to Christ, they continue to walk me through as a young pastor, mistake after mistake after mistake, irreverent preaching and worship styles, and continue to walk with me to show me what it means to be a man of God and a pastor. So could you please give them a round of applause today, because I would not be here if it wasn't for their obedience. And also, of course, my wife, she, does, she likes complimentary flowers because she says that you waste money when you buy flowers. So she likes gifts. But I love my wife. She's not here right now, but I wouldn't be able to be here without her either. She's my support system and my backbone. But today we get the opportunity to continue and finish the Invisible series. I'm so excited about what we're teaching on today because it isn't just a text. It's actually my testimony. And we're going to be speaking about the invisible need for cultural unity in the church the invisible need for cultural unity in the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, I come before you today as a servant, as a vessel. I ask that every word I speak will be anointed by your truth. I ask that as we speak your word today, that those in, in, in attendance would receive an overwhelming flow from your Holy Spirit, bringing down guards and defenses and beginning to receive an anointing and a message straight to their heart that leads to further transformation that leads to a deeper participation in the body of Christ. We don't come together to be city gate, but rather to be the body of Christ. And I pray that today we receive a deeper flow and a deeper understanding of what that means. May your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're talking about the invisible need of the cultural unity in the body of Christ, in the church. And you ask yourself, well, why is this invisible? Well, the truth is that sometimes many of us don't see culture. Me and my wife were having a conversation last, uh, a couple weeks ago, and she just, just uh, straight out telling me she just doesn't see me as an African-American man. <laughs> and I understand her love for me, but the truth is that I am. 
And the truth is, that is how God designed me to be. So sometimes in our defense, not to single people out, we get blind to culture. And that's not God's plan for his diverse creation. Also, sometimes in America, we're just so blessed with resources and an abundance that we can easily do church and live life within our small circles without a true need other than the gospel pulling us out of our comfort circles to go and walk in tough situations in other cultures. So we can easily be blind to this need for cultural unity and cultural representation in the church. But the text today is going to show us that that is not God's will at all. I believe that the church is the most powerful gathering of people in the world, the most powerful gathering of people in the world. I believe when we truly submit ourselves to Christ and walk in unity, there's nothing that cannot be accomplished. Amen. Amen. There is no thing that cannot be accomplished inside of the will of God. But we have an issue, church. We have an issue and we also have an opportunity. CityGate has an opportunity to actually become a multicultural, multi-ethnic church. This is an exciting thing. I know it sounds like, why do we even have to, I was praying today, like, why do we even have to define it that way? The truth is because it's lacking in that way. Because there's a hole in that way. There's absence in that way. So we have to begin to go at the issue. We have an opportunity to be a multicultural, multi-ethnic church. Less than 3% of churches in America can be called multicultural. It's a staggering number. And sociologists say that what that is, is that no more than 80% of one culture can make up the church. No more than 80%. So we're excited here at CityGate that we're getting there. We're intentionally going after that. But as the body of Christ, what are we doing? Why is it important that we go intentionally after being multicultural? Well, I am blessed. I've served in our U.S. Navy, even though I got the camel on today. I just, it's a fashionable thing, I promise. But, but I'm blessed to, to be born here in America. I'm blessed to be born here in the U.S. I've been all over the world, Haiti and Thailand. And if I was born in those places, I'm sure it would have been a much different life for me. So I am very blessed to be here and very thankful that I'm a citizen. But we cannot turn a blind eye to what I believe is America's biggest blemish on an otherwise stellar history to their race and race relations here in this country. An issue that has happened since the inception of this country that still has residual effects till today. And we will never find an answer in the city place if we never find an answer in the house of God. We still have not found the answer in the house of God because I said less than 3% are multicultural. So what does this mean? This means that predominantly white folks is going to church with white folks. That black folk going to church with black folk, Hispanic folk, they just going to church mainly together and not seeking anything much outside of that circle to further the gospel. It's just too easy and it's too comfortable. And today we're going to see how Christ is calling us out of that to walk in some uncomfortable spaces. I felt the need to talk about what I'm not talking about today. <laughs> I just felt the need. And so go with me there. Today, I'm not talking about racism. I'm not talking about social injustice or police brutality. Why am I saying this? Because when we begin to talk about culture, color, and ethnicity subconsciously, some of us begin to throw up guards that deflect anything other than what I'm saying about the gospel and the unity of Christ. So I'm not talking about those things today. You can lower your guard and lower your shield. I'm purely here to talk about the unity in the body of Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. That's what we're here to do, church. Nothing more, nothing less.
Many times when we talk about unity, we get confronted with this thing called uniformity. And I think that's kind of when we begin to lose our momentum. We want to unite people, but when the uniformity comes along, meaning there's two different groups of diverse people that feel like they have to look the same and do it the same way to accomplish the same goal, we begin to halt. We begin to stop the initiative. Well, the gospel simply shows that that is not true. That Jesus, when he, when he ministered to the Samaritan woman, he never changed his lingo or his dress code or, or, or never act like he wasn't Jewish. He was very much him, but he spoke truth and he did it in love. We must learn to celebrate the diverse culture, the diverse culture in our church, worshiping God for the blessing of the diversity. I got an, a, a funny story uh, that, that I was able to encounter here at CityGate. Uh, Brother Troy Prigett, who's here in, in the, in the um, audience today, we, I've got to get a relationship with him. I uh, did many a work with him. He's been on this campus doing work probably longer than I've been born and um, just doing amazing things. I mean, he could do something with a tool that I couldn't even dream of. He's very skilled. And so Troy actually has some vision issues. And so it, it, there was one moment where he had some issues with his eye, and he went in to the doctor to get these things corrected. Uh, Troy is partially colorblind in one eye, not being able to see red and green. So he went in to get the surgery, and we knew we were praying for him, hoping for him. And when he came out of the surgery, we were back here right behind the, uh, the stage, and I was just checking on him. Troy, how you doing, brother? How's everything going? And he looks at me with a puzzled face, and he says, Matt? And I said, Troy, it's me, brother. What's going on? How you doing? Is everything okay? I'm worried. I'm thinking it didn't go well. He, 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 the guy's blind now. He said, Matt, is that you? And I'm like, sincere, like, Troy, it's me, it's Matt. And he responds saying, I didn't know you were black. And we, and it was, it was, true story, I can't make this stuff up. That's CityGate, if you don't know CityGate. And it was one of the hilarious things that ever happened on this campus. But because of me and Troy's relationship, it was endearing to me. For he knew, he seen, he identified the way God created me. Me and Troy had many conversations about how him and his father had created houses right across from Franklin Park Elementary for people of color in the 60s so they could have opportunity to buy homes. I knew his heart, not because of experiences, but rather because of shared lives. So I knew where it came from, and I love that moment. I cherish that moment. The many other moments where I get to go into the community and do outreaches, when we get blind to culture, we really are hurting relationships. We are causing it to be in a shallow place where God is calling us to go much deeper. I found in my experiences, when I begin to celebrate other people's culture, I begin to go deeper in their relationship. When I go to Calusa, recently we celebrated Cinco de Mayo and the beauty of the Mexican culture. We went and did everything that they would normally do for a single mile party. And I see the, 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 the walls begin to come down. I, begin, I see them begin to embrace me in a deeper level. And therefore, I'm able to share the gospel in a deeper way. So thankful for that. When we go to uh, Southwood Village and we begin to barbecue, it's not a coincidence. And we play Christian hip hop, it's not a coincidence. And we do bingo and we play games and we, and we get sometimes do fish fries. It's culturally accepting and it's beautiful. And we get to share the gospel in a deeper level. Also, here in this church, if you don't know, it's some country folk in this church. You might be blind to that. I am not. Sometime walking in their cultural spaces, going fishing and enjoying that barbecue, 
you begin to dig deeper with them personally and begin to hear their plight, their story, and their testimony. When we get to celebrate culture, we're able to go deeper. But when we're blind to it, we have only shallow relationships. So I'm going to define unity, and we're going to jump into this text. It says, unity occurs when we combine our unique differences together as we head toward a common goal in the sense of that the thing we gathered for and moving towards is bigger than our individual preferences. The common goal is glorifying Jesus Christ. The common goal is sharing the gospel with the lost. It's walking alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's many differences that we have, but they should never affect the common goal as the unity that is in Christ. Today we're going to pick up in Acts 10 if, if if we're going old school today and we got our real Bibles here, go ahead and turn in pages and, and get there. If you open up your app, your app, we're going to go to Acts 10 today. We're going to be talking about the story of Peter and Cornelius and what happened between this, this, this encounter between Peter, Cornelius, and God. So a little bit of background. Peter is Jewish. He's a disciple. He's an apostle of Christ. He walked with Christ for many years. And, and Cornelius is a uh, Gentile. That means he is not of Jewish descent. He is also uh, a Roman leader in the army, and he probably has some prominence and some wealth. So what happened is Cornelius is a man of God. He prays to God, but he does not know Christ yet. He has not been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And God gives Cornelius a vision saying, hey, you got to go and go, uh, go get Peter. You need to talk with Peter. All right. And so, so Cornelius said, yes, God, of course, Lord. And he sends his servants to go get Peter. And as his servants is in transition, Peter has this moment right here. Verse nine, it says the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanting something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending being let down by the four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat it. But Peter says, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again the second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. Do not call common what God has made clean. God is trying to show Peter He's missing something. He's missing the point. He's missed the mark. He missed the lesson. I think about Peter and we say, oh, Peter, he, he denied Christ. Well, Peter's a better man than me, I tell you right now. He, he's, he's actually living for the Lord in a miraculous way. But Peter lived with Christ for three years. He was the closest disciple, but he still missed this lesson. God's trying to show him something that he did not get. Peter is calling this food common unclean, saying that it's unworthy, ungodly, but God is calling it worthy, clean, and acceptable. So initially what God is doing is God is reminding Peter that God is the designator of worth, not your tradition, culture, or circumstances. He's reminding him that. He said, you say it's this, but I say it's this. So what is it, Peter? It must be what God says, not your cultural norm or not your perception. We're going to use this term today. It's called comfort culture. Peter was confused by his comfort culture. He thought that his culture and his traditions would limit the gospel. 
that, it would, that God would only be able to work within his Jewish laws from God and from man. They begin to mix these together. He was living as if God could only work within those laws. Peter says that he cannot eat of this food for it is unclean. And, and I'm just like, what is Peter talking about right here? Because Jesus already told us about what you can eat and what you cannot eat. And you were there. Peter was there. Matthew 15, 10, he told him, it is not what goes in the mouth that defiles the man, but what comes out of the mouth. And Peter's sitting here arguing with God about I cannot eat. He's like, I thought I told you this lesson already. we got to go to summer school now because you didn't get it the first time. So we're here. And it just shows a deeper example that Peter is clinging to tradition, clinging to the culture. When God is saying, no, cling to my gospel and whatever is righteous in your culture, then you can walk in that too. Get rid of some of those things that are limiting the gospel in your life. God is calling us out of our comfort culture, out of our comfort culture. All right. Comfort culture. What this is, is we all have a type of culture that we enjoy. People around us, friends, things we like to do, things we like to talk about, music we listen to, things we like to eat. And we have a circle of influence that we kind of gather around with that comfort culture. OK. And what happens is when we want times of relaxation, many times of celebration or close family moments, we revert back to that comfort culture, that thing that we've always done and we enjoy most. Share a quick testimony about my life and my comfort culture. Those of you that don't know me that well, I'm from Long Beach, California. I'm a city boy. I'm a big city boy. I enjoy big city things. I love going to big cities with skyscrapers. I enjoy the smog, the heavy breathing. It's just good to me. I like it. I like riding Ubers and taxis. I like getting food from streetcars. I just enjoy those type of things. That's just the type of culture I grew up in and that, and that I enjoy. Very quickly, when I came to Fort Myers, I saw I wasn't in the big city anymore. Very quickly, when I walked out my doorstep and lizards scattered every which way, I realized this wasn't the concrete jungle that I was used to. It was a different place. But the beauty of this was when I came to Fort Myers, that I came to this church, and I began to just love Christ. And I was just walking in it, and I was doing it, but I still hadn't really abandoned my comfort culture. And I began to get all these amazing invitations to do a bunch of things that I was uncomfortable doing because it wasn't in my comfort culture. A few things that I was invited to do since I've been here, to go gator hunting, okay? Pastor, keep trying to get me to go fish a shark, all right? Talking about going, getting lobster, going shrimping, shooting skeet. I never shot a skeet shotgun in my life. And last week, Last night, a friend of mine left a pan of frog legs at my house. This is the type of culture that I'm in now. This is the type of culture that God has brought me to. But the sad part about it was when I first came, I wasn't accepted of it. I would turn down those invitations time after time because I just I felt inadequate. I didn't feel comfortable in those circles. I really didn't even know how to put a hook on a fishing reel, on a fishing line. I didn't even know the first thing about shooting a shotgun. So I turned those things down and continued to revert back to my place of comfort with my friends who are pre predominantly of color, who listen to hip-hop music and love watching sports. And God got to me real quick. He came to me just like he came to Peter and said, I did not call you out of there to come here to do more of the same. He said, I called you to walk in difficult moments to be uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel. And very quickly, church, I had to remove that comfort culture. 
I had to begin to walk outside of it and find myself in uncomfortable situations, but gaining remarkably loving relationships. And last night, I ate some frog legs, and that was a big deal in my life. <laughs> so this idea of comfort culture, we must identify it in our life and say, I'm not going to live in this place. For this is not where the gospel is truly shared the most adequately, but outside of the comfort. Many times I like to say that comfort is the opposite of faithfulness. We see this sometimes on vacations when we get away from God too long and we come back feeling low. But Cornelius and Peter are about to have a comfort culture moment. Peter has to go outside of his comfort culture. So the servant finds Peter. He gets Peter. They go back to Cornelius' house and verse 25 picks up. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up. I, too, am a man. And he talked with him. He went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourself know how unlawful it is for Jews to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was set, sent for... I came without objection. I asked you why you sent for me then. Peter, as the head of the church, is admitting, he's admitting as the head of the church at this time that he was following tradition rather than the heart of God. Wow. He was following tradition and culture rather than God's calling on his life. This is Peter. He's the man. He's following tradition rather than God's heart. So I ask you today, I'm not, get, I'm not picking on Peter. I'm saying, look at yourself. What am I following? Have I begun to cover my faith with cultural things and, and traditional laws that limit the impact of God in my life? God is calling us to follow his will over our traditions and cultures for the unity of the church. Tony Evans has this amazing quote about authentic oneness. And it says, authentic oneness is created by shared lives, not cross-cultural experiences here or there. Shared lives, not cross-cultural experiences here or there. We are an outreach church. We like to reach out. We get out there and we do it. But outreach is not oneness and unity. It could be the beginning of a relationship, but it is not the end result. If we don't take the outreach and bring it in-house, then we fell short. We're called to go out, make disciples, bring them back so we can worship together as the unity in Christ. It's time to be intentional. Our church is city gate. We desire to be the city's church. We're planted in the heart of Fort Myers, a historically diverse city. If we are not intentional about reaching out and creating a multicultural church outside of our comfort cultures, there's no way we could be the city's church if we don't look like the city. If we don't look like the city, how can we be the city's church? We just got a nice name in front, and the city's going to another place that's actually the city's church. So we desire that this place could be the city's church. What happens when the church is unintentional, when they're not actually putting one foot behind the other, walking with God in the will of God to seek uncomfortable moments, to engage culture so that they can see the totality of the gospel worked out. What happens is you have a beautiful church like First Baptist that has a 125-year history without any leadership of color. Right here in this place, 
right here in this city center without, uh, without intentional effort. We intend a growing multicultural church, but I ask you, do you live a multicultural life? Do you have shared relationships? Do you live authentic oneness that is shared by lives and not cross-cultural experiences? You may look around the church and say, man, this is a cross-cultural church. What do you mean? You see all this good stuff that's going? You see all these mix of people here? Well, you are correct. But that is not because of mine or your doing, but rather the intentional efforts of Pastor Gray and Pastor David who have decided to live a life just outside of themselves and loving others no matter the cost. It's their efforts, but it's time to become all of our efforts throughout the whole body. But I'm here because of their efforts and the will of God. What are we doing? You go to a multicultural church, but do you live a multicultural life? Sitting here, I just felt like I was just thinking that when I'm talking about this, that when we talk about culture and we're talking about reaching out, we're thinking about the physical and, and financially broken only. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the physical and financially fit who have been spiritually redeemed, who are multicultural and also the financially broken and the physically broken who are multicultural. We're not just going for the dirty, deep, hard stuff. We're looking for people who love Jesus or who need to know Jesus, that we can come together and be the church. Tap your neighbor and say, time to be intentional. It's time. It's time to be intentional. What are we here to do? Share the gospel. Get outside of our comfort zone and love Jesus the way he's called us to love. As Amy plays a little something for me, and I begin to conclude, what is the result of oneness in the church? What is the result? We talked about the church being the most powerful thing on the earth, the most powerful union of people. What is the result? Acts 10, through 49 begins to show us. While Peter was saying these things, he began to talk to them. They, he asked them, why do you have me here? He began to share the gospel with them. They wanted to hear it from Peter. While he began to say these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. So the church folks was amazed that they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Because of the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and installing God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptism, baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for them some days. Shared lives. Shared lives. The Holy Spirit falling upon them. Church folk like, whoa, I didn't know that could happen. And God like, I've been trying to tell you. You missed it. You missed it. The miraculous happens when the unity in the church begins to grow when we're not blocked by uniformity and we begin to see the diverse creation is all God's design. But the common goal to glorify the Father, to extol Jesus Christ, to share the gospel stays in the forefront. Miracles happen, strongholds begin to fall down, misconception and lies begin to submit to the truth of God. See church, the church must begin to show the world what it would look like to handle race relations the godly way. They must begin to show them. We can show them that in the church, the thing that they've been wrestling with for centuries, we've been able to be cured in the church through the Holy Spirit. And then Revelation 7, 9, and 10 would be a fact in heaven and on earth. It says, after this I look, 
And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the land, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the land. Somebody say amen. Amen, amen. amen. I get worked up every time I read that verse. I've never seen that before. I've never seen that here. But when I open my word, I continually see prophets talking about things that haven't happened yet. I continually see church leaders doing things that haven't happened yet. So I believe and I walk in a way with a faith that says, I'm going to see this even though I haven't seen it happen yet. With a passion to believe it. My, my remarks, my, my last remarks would say, the world is trying to solve the issues of race relations without God. He is the creator of love. It is impossible to create a legacy of unity without true love. We must be the example to the world. We must be the example of unity under Christ, that the world would stare in awe of our unity and oneness and desire to serve an all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful God that has always desired to unify his people under Christ, the Savior of the world. They will look in awe. How did they figure it out? We're just going to point up. We're just going to say the name above all names. We're going to say the king of kings, have you met him? How did they get it together? The Holy Spirit, brother, do you know about that? I want to show you something today that you've never encountered before. Unity in the church. As the worship team leads us in a moment of worship, I want you to pray. I want you to begin to meditate. What is God revealing to you about your life? and your tradition and your culture that has limited the gospel and the purpose of the gospel in your life. I've shared my testimony. I'm walking in that newness now. Yes, it is uncomfortable. Yes, it is hard, but it's purposeful and it's meant to be that way. Today, I wanna to give you a moment to come to the altar, a moment where you can ask God, maybe, Lord, what am, what am I holding back? What have I not surrendered fully? What have I missed? What have you called me to go deeper in that I keep confusing because I'm clinging too tight like Peter was to simple rules of man and not the will of God? Or maybe you've heard about this body of Christ and how powerful it is and how amazing it is to be a part of the will of God. And you say, I'm not a part of that. I want to be a part of that today. Well, this time is for you. I'm going to pray. And on the end of my prayer, I'm going to open up the altars and you can come forward and receive that freedom today. Freedom in salvation or freedom of strongholds. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. I praise you for what you are doing in this place and in the church. Your word is so heavy and anointing today. I pray that our hearts would receive it as a sponge receives water that we would fill up in such a way that our hearts would swell up in your purpose and in your love, that we would have no room left for those things that are not of your will and of your purpose. I know that there are some here today wrestling with some of these issues. They don't want to believe that they've been doing anything less than what you've called them to do. But if Peter, the head of the church who walked with Christ, can admit that he fell short, then who are we not to? So Holy Spirit, have your way in us today. Let us be vulnerable before you to say that we want your will, your will, your will, and not our comfort culture.